We're going to talk a little bit about Peter tonight. Uh, I mean, there's so much we can say about this wonderful man, but we're just going to talk a little bit about him, um, about his difficult time, but also his advice to us as he comes to the end of his days. And I, I take you first into the upper room where the Lord met, you know, that dreadful night. And he said some words here that um, no doubt surprised them a little bit. Little children, yeah, little while I'm with you, you shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love to another. And I'll just uh, change there the word love to the Greek there, and you see an agapeo or agape, because there are different words for love. And I, I want to bring to your attention that the Lord uses agape, which is that highest form of love. It's that love which is uh, um, about self-sacrifice. It's where you do something fully conscious, conscious of it. You're not driven by emotion. You've thought things through logically, clearly, and you've made a decision, maybe to your own cost. And, and that aspect of love is what we're talking about here, the highest form. And Lord Jesus says, I'm, I'm leaving you with this new commandment, that you love one another as I loved you, and that you also agape one another. Or this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have agape to another. Now they knew about loving one another um, as themselves from, from the law. But the Lord Jesus, when he talks about it, sets a new standard in as much as that they've got to love as he loves. Um, and what an amazing standard that is. You know, he, the righteous one, dying for the unrighteous. He, the godly one, for the ungodly. You know, the Lord Jesus gave himself to the full. That's the standard of love that he sets. And he says here, that his disciples must have that love between themselves. But Peter, Simon Peter, says unto the Lord, Will a ghost thou? He's not focusing on the aspect of love which the Lord is so insistent upon. He's concerned as to where Jesus is going. Where, where, where are you going, Lord? Where are you going? And the Lord says, Whither I go, thou canst follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And I've highlighted the word follow there in blue because we're going to carry that idea through over um, two or three passages over the next few minutes. But Jesus says to Peter, wherever I'm going, you can't come with me now. You can't follow me now. You will follow me, but not now. And Peter then protests, Lord, why can I not follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And so Peter says this, and I'm sure, brother and sister, at that point he really meant it. Such was his, his love for the Lord. I'll lay down my life for thy sake, he says. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow 
till thou hast denied me thrice. And so the Lord Jesus knows what's going to happen that night. And in those words there, he anticipates sadly those denials of Peter when he's put under that pressure. Now in the account in Luke, um, of, this, of these conversations that the Lord is having in that upper room, uh, we, we have one or two other little features here It's worth considering. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath the desire to have you, that he may sift you as we. But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said, and Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt deny, shall thrice deny that thou knowest me. So Peter here is protesting again and saying that you go to the death if need be. The Lord Jesus said, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me three times. But what I want also to notice in this passage, my dear brothers and sisters, that the Lord Jesus can see beyond those those uh, terrible challenges that Peter's going to have. He can see beyond his own death. He can see the, the days of his glorious resurrection. He can see the days when Peter would be a faithful servant. And he's been praying about it. I, I pray for thee that, that thy faith found not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren, he says. Now, I'm sure on that night, Peter just didn't understand these words at all. Uh, he's struggling. Uh, very much with the present and the near present. He's struggling with this idea of him denying the Lord. He's never going to deny the Lord. But he did, as we know, sadly he did. And thankfully, by the grace of God, he was turned around. And what a wonderful apostle he became. And he did strengthen the brethren. There's the Greek word for it. Uh, cursed 13 times. And interestingly, it's in that chapter we read, in his second epistle, which translated there established. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So we see Peter at the end of his days, strengthening his brethren, just as the Lord said he would. Now, this is 30 years or more later on. It's a, you know, it's a long way ahead, but the Lord can see that. And he's been praying about that outcome. But I now want to take you to the end of John's Gospel. And right at the end of his Gospel there, we have the resurrected Lord make himself known to his disciples. And you remember there was that great haul of fish. Uh, they having toiled all night and caught nothing but they, there's that wonderful haul of fish and Peter brings the net close there too and they eat of that fish and then the Lord takes Peter to, to one side and speaks to him doesn't he and he says to him Simon Peter Simon son of Jonah agape agape thou me more than these and he says, you know, do you love me more than these? And I think he's, he's looking perhaps not so much at the fish, but the, those disciples around Peter, because Peter said, you know, all men would 
deny you. I would never deny you. If all, all others would fail you, I'd never fail you. And so I think the Lord Jesus is saying here to Simon, do you love me more than these? You know, how much do you love me? Do you really love me with this love? Agapeo, do you really love me like that? And poor Peter, having gone through that experience, that bitter experience of, of letting his Lord down, you know, in such an awful way, he can't use that word agapeo. He uses the word philio, which is another Greek word for love, but it's, it's not so intense, it's not so deep. It's more about affection. And you can say that. Say, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I, I have affection toward thee. I, I filio toward thee. And the Lord responds and he says, feed my lambs. But then Jesus says a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, agape thou thou me. Agape thou me. And he saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I filio thee. And the Lord said unto him, feed my sheep. And so the second time the Lord puts it to Peter, can you show agape? And he says, filio. He just can't do that. And so we can see here Peter, knowing himself to be a weak man, not the strong man that he thought he was, can only say to the Lord with any confidence, I have a strong affection for you. And then, for the third time, the Lord says to Simon, son of Jonah, filio thou me. And so the Lord now comes down and uses that word for love to Peter. So he's gone from agape, using agape twice, he's now coming down to filio. And what's Peter's reaction to this now? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Filio thou me. And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I filio thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So Peter says to the Lord, you know, you know that I have a strong affection for you. You know that. Don't question that. Don't, don't have any doubt about that. Don't question me on Philio. And, and so we see Peter unable to say agape. And the Lord speaking eventually with Peter in terms of Philio. Conversation goes on. Conversation goes on. For the Lord says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And then John says to us, by the Spirit, this spake he, signifying what death he should glorify God. And when he spoke, spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. So Jesus says to Peter, maybe not now. It's going to take maybe 30 years of service. But at the end of your days, you will show up. You will 
die for me as you said you would in that upper room, as you said on the way as you went to the garden. You're going, you are actually going to do it. You are going to follow me. So you can see why I've, I've put that uh, phrase there in blue. You know, the Lord said he couldn't follow me, but at some point he would follow me. And here he is. He said, you're going to do it. And um, for Peter, of course, you know, at this point, the Lord's given him a commission. You know, I haven't spoken about that, about feeding and tending the sheep and so on. I'm not going to dwell on that too much other than to say that it's one thing to catch fish. It's another thing to look after sheep. You know, it might be difficult to catch fish, but once you've caught them, that's it. You dress them, you deal with them, you either preserve them or eat them. There's nothing to do. The difficult bit is obtain them in the first place. Well, once you've got the fish, the job of a fisherman is easy. But the job of a shepherd, that's far, far more demanding, brothers and sisters, isn't it? Far more demanding. And it demands agape, a good shepherd, like unto the Lord himself, as one who has agape for the sheep. And that's what he's been calling Peter to. And Peter, at this point, can only offer filio. But the Lord Jesus knows that in the process of time, his faith will be such that he will have agape toward the sheep. He will be a faithful shepherd. And he will follow after the Lord, even unto death. So that takes us to our reading in the second epistle. And uh, chapter 1, and this was probably written something like AD 64, 65. Um, certainly those terrible days of that wicked man, um, Caesar Nero. He was a brutal man, wasn't he? And the, the persecution he, he delivered to our brothers and sisters, um, it's just a fearful thing. And it seems that Peter died in that awful persecution. And so when he writes this second epistle, it's probably his last words before he's, he's taken out and brutally executed. And so this epistle is precious, brothers and sisters, because here's a man who, if he thought about his own situation, might have been full of self-pity and uh, full of stress and strain, somewhat dispirited. But no, we see this man using that last opportunity, maybe the last penny's going to, last letter's going to write, he's using it to strengthen his brethren and sisters as the Lord had commanded him. He's going to do his utmost to encourage. And he's not worrying about himself, you know, which is so typical of one who demonstrates agape, that selfless love. It's not about ourselves. It's about our brethren and sisters and doing service for our Lord and King. And so here we have Peter about, about to lose his life for the Lord. And yet he writes, and he writes mightily by the Spirit, brothers and sisters. And we pick up on verse 13. Yeah, I think it neat, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I'll endeavour that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. 
So, you know, we read there in John of the Lord saying that he would actually uh, be crucified just like his master. And here Peter makes mention of it. Verse 14, he's going to put off this tabernacle as the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. And it's interesting, he uses the idea of a tabernacle and referring to his body, um, which makes us think of the transfiguration. And in this chapter, he will go on to speak of that. More of that in a moment. But I just want to share with you now, because I think this can, can help us, wherever we be, whatever situation we might be in at the moment. Here we have Peter, faithful Peter. Uh, maybe in some sort of lockdown situation, you know, may well be confined. Um, I'm not saying that the the uh, confinement may be altogether uh, extreme, extreme, a dark dungeon, something awful, something like Jeremiah had. Maybe a bit more comfortable than that, but nevertheless, he's confined. I'm sure of that. He hasn't got freedom of movement, and he knows. That when he is taken from that place of confinement, however comfortable it may have been, it's not to be going back to normal, as we like to think we might do one day. It's not that. He's going out and he's going to be brutally executed. So what does this man say? What does he write about? Well, in chapter 2, he's going to talk about false prophets, sadly. Um, we're not going to look at that now. And in chapter 3, he'll, he'll talk about the coming kingdom. And though people will doubt the reality of the coming kingdom, it may even be a long while yet, it will come to pass. And he strengthens his brothers and sisters in the, in the last words of 2 Peter 3 to pray for it earnestly and live off in harmony with that expectation. But what's he saying in chapter 1? We're just going to look at some of these things here in this this first chapter, these things that are uppermost in his mind that he wants to write about straight away. You know, what's a man going to write to his fellow believers when time is short, when the circumstances are pressing upon him? What's he going to write about? Well, I'll put a head in there. Remember the promises. I'm going to take you back to verse 3. And we read... According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, these words, brothers and sisters, are rich. Now, we could spend a lot of time just on these two verses. I'm just going to share with you just one or two little things. Um, just look at verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Um, it, it's amazing thought that, but it's true that divine power has been extended on our behalf. It may not be uh, direct, straight with us, such as we can see in Egypt, but 
divine power has gone forth with every single prophet that the Lord sent forth. With every word that's been written and recorded, divine power has gone forth. Every brother and sister, every faithful one that we read of in the Old Testament, all the way through, that's been preserved to keep the covenant alive and to pass on those covenants and promises from generation to generation to generation. That has been divine power. And that has embraced us, brothers and sisters. That's embraced me and it's embraced you. That's what it's about. And so we have this word before us by his grace. We have the Lord's angels round about us through his grace. We have all things necessary for us to, to attain unto life and godliness. And that life, it's not just this life, it's that eternal life, that life which is right and true, that life which the Lord Jesus demonstrated and manifested perfectly, that quality of life which is altogether right and true and godly. We have everything our need, our disposal for it. That's, that's what we're being called to. You know, he speaks of knowledge in that verse 3. We have that knowledge as we take in the word and we let it have its effect upon us. And then when it gets into verse 4, whereby I've given to us exceeding great precious promises, he says, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Oh, that's just, just so wonderful, isn't it? The divine nature. It's talking about his tabernacle. You know, while I'm in this tabernacle, I'm going to stir you up, he says. But then he says, I know I'm going to take my tabernacle off and I'm going to be crucified like the Lord Jesus. And when he talks about his body like that, as I say, he's alluding to the transfiguration experience. But can you see he's alluding to it here in verse 4 when he says about being partakers of the divine nature. This is a man who has seen the divine nature. He's seen it in the Lord Jesus. He's seen it. He's had a foretaste of the kingdom, seeing Moses, seeing Elijah, seeing the Lord Jesus, and all that brilliance. He saw the divine nature, and he's saying that the Lord has promised us access to this. And in verse 4, he talks about exceeding great and precious promises. Exceeding great. And precious promises. Now that uh, there in I've got in red in the AV exceeding great is actually just one word in the Greek. Before we look at that one word in the Greek, I'll give you another word. The the usual word for great in the Greek is mega. Now I'm not too sure what it's like in the Caribbean or even Canada. But certainly in Britain, we get mega this and mega that. In fact, I heard it yesterday. Uh, I think it was on the radio, a mega sale. You know, come to our carpet showroom. We've got mega sales, blah, blah, blah. And um, sometimes our youth talk about things being mega, um, not just that they're big or large, but they're good. There's a connotation on it that it's good. So mega, mega, they say, you know, people say mega this, mega that. 
Well, that's interesting because I expect most of you use that phrase, whether it's in advertising or in general speak, one to know. I've got no idea it comes from the Greek. But that, it is actually from the Greek and it means great. And Peter could have said, we've got mega precious promises. And that would have been right up to date, wouldn't it, sisters? Right up to date, at least in Britain. Mega promises. No, you've got a better word than that. Against us. It's more than that. UV has to use two words. Great is not enough. It's exceeding great. Megistos. So if those around us are happy with the mega things of life, then so be it. We have the Megistos, brothers and sisters. Megistos, we have exceeding great promises. And they are precious. In the fullness of time, by his grace, we'd be resurrected and glorified, having the divine nature. And all those promises given to the fathers of old, to those patriarchs, would be a reality. And uh, so many passages we do, you know, we could go back, couldn't we, to Genesis and think of the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, think of wonderful promises given to David. So we think of the land, we think of the kingdom, we know the meek should inherit the earth. And we know we'll be blessed with immortality, free from temptation and the curse of our nature and the sin that we fall so easily into. Free from all that. And I'm just going to take you to this one passage. Um, I hope hope you'll bear with me. It's one of my favourite passages. Because of God like unto thee, says the prophet Micah, that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. And he's talking of the nation as a whole. He's talking of his people, Israel. And these words will have their fullness regarding the nation of Israel. We wait for them, we pray for it to happen. But surely, my dear brothers and sisters, these words apply to you and I, to each one of us individually. You know, for, for us, he hath not retained his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and they will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou will perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Megistos, brothers and sisters, exceeding great and precious promises. These are the things that Peter wants us to focus on when we feel a bit dispirited and a bit down. And if we feel our freedoms for the moment being curtailed and we long for the normality that we had maybe just a few weeks or a few months ago, well, think on these things, brothers and sisters. These things are so, so precious. That's what the apostle says. And he says that straight away in this this final letter, or one of his final letters, he says it right at the beginning. Have these in mind. Let them be a motivating force in your life. And he talks of the word, doesn't he? The importance of scripture. 
So I'm, I'm going to get you skipping a little bit about this chapter. I hope you forgive me for that. I'm going to move down to verse 16 now. Because Peter says, We've not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus the Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honour and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So he says, I was there. I was there with James and I was there with John. The three of us were there on that mount, that holy mount. And we saw the great prophet Elijah. We saw the great lawgiver Moses. And we saw our Lord and our Saviour glorified. And we heard the voice of God. We heard the voice of the excellent glory. And so can you see what Peter's doing? He's focusing on that wonderful experience that he had. That experience that was so needful now. You know, these dark days that he's living through. You know, this desperate situation that he's in. He's focusing on that. And whatever that brute of a season might have in store for him. He can see beyond. He can see beyond that. He can see the divine nature being granted unto him through the grace of his Saviour, even the Lord. We haven't followed cunning with his fables, he says. I know. I've seen the kingdom. I'll share it with you. I'll talk with it with you now. Believe me, I was there with James and John. We saw it and we heard the voice. But then remarkably, brothers and sisters, and we do well to mark this well. We do well to take this and note this. Because remarkably, he says in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not all time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so could have left it with his experience there on the Holy Mount. He could have just left it there, but no, he doesn't. He says, I want you to know this first. This is fundamental. Of all that you will get to know, and by the grace of God, we'll learn this is the most fundamental thing. No first, he says. This is fundamental. Build your life upon this understanding. Know this first. That no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. He says to us, value the word of God. Value it. Private interpretation. Let's just briefly look at this. Uh, I'm sure you're aware of it. I'm just reminding us, brothers and sisters, the idea of private there. Strong says, pertaining to oneself, one's own. Oh no, scripture is not man made, it's not cunningly devised fables. 
pull of a man's imagination. Oh no. And uh, interpretation there in the Greek, that Greek word's got the idea of a loosening or unloosening, as if someone is coming up with an idea um, that's just uh, whimsical, not really thought out, just a, uh, a fanciful thing. No, it's not a man's idea which has no substance. No, Scripture's not like that. It's not a cunningly devised fable. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. The Holy God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word of God, brothers and sisters, we are blessed with it. It's our bedrock for our faith. And Peter says that. Verse 19. Just prior to that, he says, we have also, you know, he's been talking about the transfiguration and the experience that he, he had. That he, he says, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. He says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. You see, even a transfiguration experience, it's just for the moment. I mean, he's bringing it the bare best he can. But all our experiences, brothers and sisters, you know, even when we know that, that the angels of the Lord have worked in our lives, and, you know, we reflect and we can see where God has intervened. Before too long, we forget, and it, our recall of it becomes somewhat hazy, and it loses its power. But the word is ever before us. It's a more sure word. We don't have to doubt as to whether we've had this providential help of, of the Lord and an angel sent forth here. We, we might doubt it. No, we don't have to worry about that. We've got the word. If the word is here, we can build our faith upon the word. We don't have to rely on our experience. And even Peter says, as great and as wonderful as the transfiguration was, it comes second to having the knowledge born of the word of God. And Peter, question, brothers and sisters, is feeding upon the word of God, and thinking upon the word of God, and sustaining himself through these difficult hours and days that he's having. And I'll put some brackets there. I hope uh, you can see that. I put brackets there uh, around that uh, little bit where it says until the day dawn and the day star rise. And I'll show you why. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place in your hearts. Now, first and foremost, the word of God is for ourselves, brothers and sisters. Yes, we. It helps us to understand the darkness around us and the works of darkness done in the political heavens around us. Yes. But that light has got to be shone within first and foremost. And the word dark there is unique to Scripture. It's the only time we have this word. And Strong says 
it means squalid, it means dirty. And the, the harsh, brutal fact is that left to ourselves, the natural man is, is that. You know, we, we are in darkness. We are dark until we're enlightened by the word and we can be cleansed. And that's what the light does. That's what the word provides. It's a lamp, it's a candle. And so we can see through the darkness and we can look first into our own thoughts and intentions, our own motives, and readjust our thinking aright. So we don't have the, the, the wayward thoughts of an old man, but we have the right thoughts of the spiritual man, even the mind of Christ. My word is a lamp, says the psalmist, unto my feet, light to my path. True it is. Peter saying that to us here. These days that we're in, we've got to look at the word. And we're doing it this evening. How right it is. And you're going to do it tomorrow. And you're going to do it on Sunday. And we should re repeatedly come round the word together in our ecclesia or in a more fraternal way, such as we're doing now. Let's make the opportunities and share the word one way to be enlightened so that we can walk aright, walk in the way of righteousness, and have that of the kingdom as Peter has here, as we read now. I'm going to come back to that phrase. You know, that light's shining in a dark place, you know, and the word of God helps us to see what we are ourselves are naturally and, and what's going on in the darkness of the world. Of course it does, and that comfort is so, so wonderful to us. You know, others don't know what this virus is about. Well, I'm not going to pretend that we fully understand it, but we know one thing, don't we, brothers and sisters? We know it's bringing on, it's bringing on the day of the Lord's coming, and it's heralding. You know the the great calamities that have to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords reigns, and so we don't fully understand the events, but we take heart. We take heart. Through the word, we understand this is a fulfillment in part of, of prophecy, you know, of those things that shall be, which will make other men fearful. And so it is a light to us in that sense too. And we're going to need this word, brothers and sisters, right through, right through until the Lord Jesus comes, until the day of all and the day star arise. Now, the day star, interesting. You know, Revelation, we have it, and um, I think it's quite clear that it refers to, to Jupiter, the, the bright morning star. But here in the Greek, it's unique. And so I'll to think a little bit whether it's um, meaning the sun or it's meaning... Venus, as we have in Revelation, and I, I feel you may, may have a difference of opinion, and there's no need for us to worry too much about 
about it, but I, I feel that when it talks about the day dawning, that this is the sun. And certainly we've got passages in the Old Testament that uh, we have associated with the coming of Christ, with the, with the dawning of the day. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. You know, we've had some beautiful mornings. Blue uh, skies. Lifts the spirit, especially early in the day. When the Lord Jesus comes, spirits will be lifted for the faithful ones. What joy, what joy. And so we delight in the word. We bask in the light which the, the word gives us now. And we pray for he with the light of the world to come. And then he will shine. He will shine forth and there'll be healing in his beings. And so we've got to live the life. So that's uh, the heading I've got here. And I'm going to take you back to verses 5 to 7. And the apostle says, you know, you've got these promises, verse 4. Let those promises be a motivating power in your life. You know, have those promises uppermost so they influence you for good. In as if give all diligence and your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness charity now these are the wonderful characteristics that we must take on my dear brothers and sisters and the word add is really interesting you know as we read that in the AV you might think well you start off with faith and then Having got that, you move on to virtue. And then having got that, you then move on to knowledge. And you go up as in a ladder. I don't think that's what Peter intends. And it's not like a tick chart where you've got faith, so then you go and tick virtue, and then you tick... No. And you look at that word add in the Greek, it's fascinating. Well, I'm terrible at pronouncing Greek, so uh, another reason for having it on the screen. Epicurigo is the best I'm going to do. Epicurigo. And from that, you might be able to see, we get the words chorus and choreography. Choreography is when you, you have a dance routine. You know, dancers uh, have a set plan that they work to. And chorus, you've got a group of people singing to, to music, pre-planned. You know, chorus, choreography. It comes from that word. We've got there, epicoreo. Can you see it? It's, they're similar words. Well, there's another word, choreogos, which in the times of the Greeks was the name given to a worthy citizen who provided those entertainers, who would provide chorus, who may provide dancers when there was a, a public event, a town celebration. And this man, of his own free will, um, gave generously so that there would be a chorus there would be these entertainers and, and he was called a choreographer 
And we get this similar word, koriego, which means any munificence freely offered over and above one's obligation. So that's what that word means. You know, someone's giving something over and that which they need to do or have to do. This is a, a generosity of spirit. But epikoriego is even more emphatic than that. That's being generous to the point of being lavish. And that's the meaning of the word ad here. So Peter is saying, now you've got to have diligence and you've got to have faith in these promises. You have this faith in these promises like the patriarch had faith in those promises. And you have faith that you will be a partaker of the divine nature, that you will escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. You've got faith on those things and let it so drive you now that you lavishly take on these characteristics of Christ Jesus and your God in heaven above. Take on these characteristics. So don't think of it as a tickness, brothers and sisters. Think of it as the outworking of your faith. No, I'm not going to talk through all those. I, I, I wouldn't do that, brothers and sisters. You, you, know, you know what those words mean. All I would say is that uh, the, the final two bring us right round to where we were at the beginning in many ways because he speaks in verse 7 of brotherly kindness and that's filio. And then he ends up with charity and that's agape. And so we're going to persevere through these problems that we, we may be going through today or they might be more challenging tomorrow. We're going to persevere. Self-control when we may be challenged. We're going to grow in knowledge through the word of God. Hopefully we're going to manifest goodness and godliness. There's going to be affection for each other one to another. Of course, we're going to show filio one to another and hopefully to our fellow men and women around us. And we're going to use agape like the Lord Jesus has demonstrated. And so I'm bringing my thoughts to a close. There's two passages to, to end with, my dear brothers and sisters. In verse 10, the apostle says, Wherefore there are the brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So an entrance shall be ministered unto you richly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And I'll put Greek there. The word ministered, it's epikorigo again. And can you see then that? For so an entrance shall be lavishly, generously granted unto you, richly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. This is so beautiful. You know, we've been talking in Britain and, uh, and in Ireland. Ireland, 
as I said, I have a love of Ireland and the Brent sisters in Ireland, so I have an interest in what's going on there. Um, and Ireland is, is trying to break out of the lockdown, just as Britain's doing, and they're doing it at a different rate. I've got a son who lives in France, and they, they've got a different way of going on with things. Of all the countries of the earth, if they're not in lockdown, then they're trying to find a way of coming out of lockdown, of easing the pressure, of giving us freedom in stages or in phases. Well, don't, don't think that we're going to enter into the kingdom in stages or phases, brothers and sisters. It's not a case of us just getting a, a little insight and then maybe a little... No. When the Lord comes, if we are to be blessed with the place in the kingdom, we will not scrape into the kingdom. Oh, no. The entrance will be wide open. Lavishly will we be brought in. Open arms shall the Lord be to his saints. Epicorigo. What a prospect. Keep this in mind. Peter says, keep this in mind. Even though I think it may, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting in remembrance, knowing that short numbers put off this my tabernacle. Yes. Have these things in mind. Keep these in focus. Live the life. Live the life as a faithful one of the Lord Jesus. And you will be richly blessed today and tomorrow. And finally, just thinking of today's reading, the Apostle Paul. In, Acts chapter, in Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry it's a long passage. Um, I was having difficulty trimming it to this. It's a wonderful end to that chapter 8. I'm just going to read this and conclude. I won't comment on it, I'll just read it and I'll finish as I read the last words of this passage. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love of Agape, Lord God, whatever going on with us now, whatever may befall us, even if we should have COVID-19, brothers and sisters, whatever happens to us, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely Give us all things. Amen.